Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm here. This is Alex Kessler. I'm here with Glenn Jones. Hello, everyone. And our guest today, Jules Robbins. Hello, hello. Jules Robbins is known for his awesome design articles on Goblin Artisans, which will be very helpful today's topic, as well as his awesome commander content on GatheringMagic.com. Well, thanks uh, for the vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I like the word awesome. I can't help it. So, as I was saying, today we're actually talking about the modern band list. Uh, the band list was something created for almost every format in, moder- or in Magic the Gathering, and it's made to specifically temper a format so that it plays as Wizards kind of wants it to. Yeah, it's mostly a form of sort of external control uh, to balance things out, especially because, you know, as you get into decades of printing cards, sometimes they don't work with each other exactly in the way that you might have envisioned, and that can be unfun. Right. I mean, it comes down to when you're designing cards from Wizards' perspective, it's impossible for every set, for every card made to look back throughout the entire history of Magic and make sure that, you know, every card printed doesn't do something broken with cards from the past. Yeah, and especially it's really limiting if you come up with Say you're a wizard's designer, you come up with some great new mechanic that's going to be a ton of fun and limited and standard, but will be broken with one old card printed, you know, ten years ago. Right. You don't want to throw out the entire mechanic because of one interaction. Right, it's a lot, especially, I mean, the ban list classically is something people are a little bit afraid of, but in the past, you know, you look back and it's generally been for good reasons. These are cards that have been, you know oppressing a format in a way that makes it hard to play, you know, unfun for players to play, and so they only really bring out the ban hammer in moments of need or in instability in the formats they're trying to make stable. Yeah, and it's worth noting that these days, pretty much every modern trading card game player of any stripe, you know, is familiar with the concept and idea of a banned list. Like, right. almost every game in- in- introduces it in some way, shape, or form, or they've heard about it from other games. But Magic, actually, when they first started instituting banned lists, you know, it was not met with that same level of familiarity because it hadn't happened before. Yeah, Magic is the uh, first. Uh, the very first, quote, banning uh, in Magic wound up actually losing a fair bit of players. I have friends who, you know, played back then and were like, yeah, that was when I, you know, cut and I took a break and couldn't take it. They banned my whatevers. And I was like, yeah, all right, man. Uh, and obviously, you know, nobody ever quits. Those guys all still play Magic. But uh, it's sort of a interesting history that Magic kind of broke it by breaking it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and, you know, to make sure everyone knows what a ban list is, it is a list of cards that are not allowed to be played in tournament play Magic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can still technically play with them in kitchen tables, though normally your friends will be a little annoyed that you're playing with a ban card. But it's a, a, a guideline to make sure that you can't play these cards so that the formats work the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Now, it's worth noting Wizards refers to it as a banned and restricted list. Uh, cards can also be restricted, but that's something they reserve pretty much just for Vintage at, at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, bannings are what happens everywhere else, where it's easier to just wholesale say that card doesn't see any play, than limit it to a single copy, right. uh, which is what restriction would mean. Well, the issue is restriction actually just adds a ton of variance yep. to the game, because you'll have one player draw their one copy of a super powerful card, and that'll just shape the entire game around it, which is... And it's so awful, and that's why Commander is just the worst format, right? <laughs> I cannot endorse that statement. Sorry, I just left that door wide open. <laughs> um, in modern, modern kind of started with a ban list. Normally, ban lists are responses to uh, something going wrong. Uh, and in modern, they decided ahead of time, you know, we want this format to be different than the bad guys of standards past was kind of, I feel like, their philosophy. And so they were like, well, these are cards that we know are a problem, so we're going to get rid of them. 
And then over the next two years, slowly they started adding cards and sometimes taking away cards, depending on what they want, you know, what was actually showing up to be too oppressive in the format. Yeah, it's basically a genetically engineered format, really. You know? Right. <laughs> they just came, came in and s- snipped a few things before it could get out of hand. Yeah, well, it, Wizards saw the state of Legacy and that it wasn't going to be sustainable to keep supporting Legacy forever. Wanted to make a new format to replace that, that people would be able to continue playing. And they, you know, Legacy took years to get to a point where it was fun to play. They wanted to start modern there so that, you know, they could get a following going. Right, right. And... and you know, and Wizards has said kind of their philosophy and, and the way they wanted to use the ban list is the way a format kind of ends up shaping out is that the more powerful cards that are super powerful, the cards that need to be banned there are, the less decks there are. So slowly, once they created the format, they started just knocking things off the top of the pyramid, making the pyramid wider and wider and wider so that more and more decks are possible to be played so that there's more and more variety in the format. Um, I think Wizards believes right now they've kind of come to a place where they feel comfortable with how wide the format is, mm-hmm. and now are more using the the ban list and or unbanning cards to shake up the format pre pro tours or big high profile modern events, so that you know there's something different and new and exciting happening in modern because modern it's harder for a new set to affect modern than it is for cards being unbanned and banned that are already proven power levels that affect the modern play base. But stay tuned. Cons of Tarkir may be bucking that trend. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. With <laughs> It's an interesting point you bring up there as well because most formats and indeed most games uh, generally ban cards based on just like pure power level. Like, is this card too good for the format? Axe it. Uh, but Modern has a slight difference in that it is, a, a lot of the cards have been banned specifically because of how Wizards would like to promote diversity in the format and the kinds and ranges of decks they'd like to see play. So, you know, there are cards as we go through the list that you might think, well, that card doesn't seem like it's actually too powerful, and you might just be right. Right, and and, and an example kind of of their philosophy in this and then them kind of falling back on that, uh, and them kind of falling back on that is uh, Wild Nactyl, Wild Nacatl, where this is a card that was... Not that much better than other similar cards. One mana for a 3-3 three, three exists in a couple ways in the format without Wild Nactyl in the format. But, sorry, Wild Nacatl <laughs> in the format. <laughs> but they, the fact that it said you had to play with specific types of mana bases, they assumed that that made it so that the deck it was in was just the only, vi- like, made it so that other decks of that same type weren't able to be played. This didn't really fall through, which is why they eventually unbanned the card, which the card is a one mana 3-3 three, three that you have to have a mountain in planes for it to be a 3-3. Three, three. Um, and it made it, so they unbanned it, and it actually hasn't really shown up in the format very much. I mean, it, it's there, it's and a it's deck, a thing, yeah. but it's a deck, mm-hmm. but it's not the format warping card they thought it was. You know, there haven't been really that many unbanned, so why don't we just talk about them a little bit more in depth before we dive into what's actually still banned. Right, right. Uh, so we, we just talked about Wild Nakata, which was mm-hmm. an unbanning, uh, and it was unbanned because it really just wasn't that good anymore, as you what? said. And I think Snapcaster Mage was really the heaviest influence I was on about to unbanned. say the right. same thing. Yeah. The format basically has twice as many Lightning Bolts now, because most of the Lightning Bolt decks also have Snapcaster Mages for them. It right. makes creatures that die to Bolt a lot less appealing. Exactly. And that's kept Zoo from, you know, emerging as a true Tier 1 strategy, right. whereas back then, you know, it... It was very, very powerful because if you didn't have your lightning bolt, you were going to take three to nine damage from that wild Nakata or whatever followed very frequently. Right. I mean, when when the two or three of the biggest pillars of the format 
all either play a Snapcaster Plush Lightning Bolt plan either in the side or main, or are playing Kitchen Finks, another problem for Wild Nactyl and aggressive decks. Never going to say it correctly. <laughs> I say Wild Nactyl, everyone says Nacatl, deal with it world. <laughs> um, it, you end up with just the card not being as strong as it was back when Punishing Fire was a, was the actual mm -hmm. major removal and, and other things like that. And it's interesting because it's essentially a shift from Wild Nacatl being too efficient for modern to being you know, just efficient enough, or maybe even a little under the bar, right. uh, which is just the nature of the format evolving. And another card has a very similar uh, occurrence, which was Bitter Blossom. Right. Uh, Bitter Blossom was a, a marquee enchantment in a hugely popular, well, popular might not be the right word, but hugely <laughs> plentiful standard deck uh, right. called Dominant, Fairies. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people played it. It was not necessarily a fun experience for a lot of people, and the card's power level is super high for a standard legal card just in general. Right, right, uh, right. It's a one to black for an enchantment that produces a 1-1 flying fairy every turn at the cost of one life, which... You know, any of you guys who are well-versed in the Fibonacci sequence are going to be aware that one life each turn for a fairy each turn is going to give you a huge edge in any right, damage. Right, 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 right. Well, it, it also comes down to... It was banned in that, what I mentioned before, that run of, these are the bad guys of standards mm -hmm. past banned. Like, right. Affinity had cards banned. Every card that, like, was too dominant, especially historically, had cards on the banned list that were placed there, and Fairies was a dominant deck when it was in Standard. It was like the beginning of this recent trend of giant, uh, you know, tempo and or control decks that are just too strong, and it was the marquee dangerous card from that set. So you're like, you know what, I don't even, I don't want to start with that in play. I don't want to start that being available modern. If we sometime test it later and see it's okay, fine. And I think one of the reasons it was able to be unbanned is Abrupt Decay. Abrupt Decay. Yeah, I, I agree that that is the printing of another card that was a main deckable form of enchantment removal, which one of the reasons Bitter Blossom was so strong was, A, it was an enchantment, so it was very difficult to remove with right. conventional removal spells you would mm -hmm. play. That format had very few... Uh, and B, most of those spells weren't as efficient as Bitter Blossom itself. For example, people in Standard in that era were using Esper Charm to try and uh, occasionally right. answer Bitter Blossom, but if the Bitter Blossom player starts with Bitter Blossom in play, untaps, makes a fairy, they now have the mana to spell Stutter Sprite, any Esper Charm that might come their way, right. that's a huge advantage. Uh, that advantage does not exist with Abrupt mm -hmm. Decay in the format. Uh, speaking of spell Stutter Sprite, uh, actually is another huge point of Abrupt Decay's favor. I mean, fairies get mm -hmm. to play Thoughtseize, but a lot of the power is you can just hold up counter mana for all these instant speed fairies and cryptic yeah. commands once you have a Bitter Blossom in play, and there's basically no way to lose, but right. Abrupt the, Decay is uncounterable. Right. The, the dominance of what fairies was is that the entire deck is basically flash other than, or instant speed or flash other than Bitter Blossom, which comes down turn two, and then for the entire time you hold a cryptic command or, you know, spells, snare, and the many different counter spells yeah. that were available in the mm -hmm. format, whatever they are, and you just kind of win. And you basically just player. threaten a wide range of variable forms of interaction, and your opponent has to either just decide which one they hope you don't have, or, you know, not play anything, and there you go. Uh, interestingly, though, even without Abrupt Decay, I'm not confident that Bitter Blossom would be making huge waves in Modern. There's a pretty big difference from the current Modern metagame to where it was in Standard. Just the individual other Fairies cards that you play for Synergy with Bitter Blossom, Spellsetter Sprite, Mistbind Click, Cyan Avuna, just are not cards that have as inherently high a power level as you want to see in Modern. And in Standard, they were perhaps very slightly below the curve or approximately on it, and then you got all these great synergies on top yeah. of it. But those right. cards can't compete with the likes of Snapcaster Mage and needing a critical mass for that synergy or stops you from splitter Snapcaster. Totally I, mean, like, well, I think can't is a strong word, but I agree that they're they're basically, you know, 
they graduated from the minor leagues and the major leagues are like, oh, you guys are all so good. <laughs> like that, that's a little different from what I'm used to. I'm, I'm used right. to more just being better than everyone. Being the best yeah. person in, you know, the NCAA basketball and then going to the NBA and just being like, yeah, oh, you're, like, a, you're oh, a player. I'm the third best player on my <laughs> right. team. This is kind of new. Yeah. Um, and I guess the last, I think, not the last, I think my, or, okay, the next one is Balakut. Uh, the Molten Pillow. It's a land that if you have five or more mountains in play, uh, every mountain beyond the fifth is three damage to target creature or player. Um, it's a volcano. It would be legendary if the legendary mm -hmm. rules were the same as they are, but it is not. It is non-legendary. Mm -hmm. And it's played mostly in the deck Scapeshift, which uh, allows you to sack... It's a, uh, a sorcery yeah. that lets you sack all of... <laughs> I just went wide-eyed at the concept of scapeshift not being a sorcery. Uh, I, I have been freaking scapeshifted before. It's not a fun experience. <laughs> um, that lets you sack as many lands as you want and put as any land you want from your deck into play, and it just basically insta-wins. It's a one-card combo, kind of, while also every single card in your deck is land, so, or gets lands quickly, so it makes it a little bit quicker. Yeah, and I think that we can all agree that the unbanning of Alakut was easily the most influential unban that has occurred in modern. Right, every yes. almost every other band was kind of like, it was let out of the gates and then just, meh, did okay. It kind of like, it, it didn't do bad, but it didn't do great. Valakut yeah. was the one that like, made a defining deck that is now a pillar that has won GPs, and mm -hmm. so like... Yeah, all, all of these definitely made defining decks, but Scapeshift is easily the most successful and it also warps the format in a completely new way you know like if you were you know they unbanned wild nakado now you have to fight zoo it's like oh well it's creatures die to lightning bolt just like all the other creatures i was right. already lightning bolting sweet that's easy uh but you know attacking someone who's going to interact with you by ramping mana and playing a scapeshift with four floating so they can either pay for your leak or cryptic command your actual interaction that's a completely different story and right. suddenly those abrupt decays aren't looking quite as good no they are not yeah um, I mean, yeah, and, and Fairies runs on the same tempo plan as, like, Blue White Red does, pretty much, where everything is instant speed. Yeah, like, people removal, are, are right? used to interacting on these axes. Scapeshift right. is a completely new thing, and it has changed the format, and I don't think it's necessarily made it uh, worse in any way. Like, I personally don't think Scapeshift's, like, a super cool combo deck or anything like that. It doesn't right. really entertain me to play against it, but, like... Oh, it, it's I get basically pushed nothing games. out though, so it just yeah. adds another option for players. Right, who like Wizards it. likes the diversity. Right, it's a playstyle that wasn't seeing play, and arguably we're going to get some cards when we actually go through the ban list. That there was a playstyle that was seeing play that they had to get rid of because those other versions of it were too powerful, mm -hmm. and so this is a acceptable power level of this type of deck playstyle that wasn't seeing play before it was unbanned. It's also a legitimate ramp strategy, which otherwise really would not exist in the format. Like, there are decks that do it, but they're not especially good. So. Right, right. Or they're, like, very difficult to play, and so it generally doesn't go as well as, you know, most people would expect or hope. So that's kind of the three cards that have been unbanned since the format started, and there's been a lot banned, so we're going to go through each card, and uh, Glenn, take it away. All right, so what I've gone ahead and done is divvied up the list a little bit into some categories for us to discuss. Uh, and the first one that we're going to start with is the sort of thing that lands pretty much a, band, a card on a banned list in every format, which is fast mana. Mana is like the hard and fast rule of magic. Cards cost mana. That's why you can print them at certain casting costs versus others. Mm -hmm. There's an argument. There's a reason that six of the most powerful cards ever printed, if not seven of them, are all fast mana. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the Moxes and Black Lotus are some of the most famous cards in the game, and they're fast mana. Like, right, Everyone that's all they is do. <laughs> aware of what they do. Uh, so Modern has its own fast mana that is on the banned list, uh, and we're going to start with Chrome Mox. Uh, Chrome Mox is a zero-cost artifact. It is much like many of the other Moxes, except you have to imprint a card on it in order to get any mana, and it imprints the colors of the card that you imprint on it. It makes the mana of the colors of the card that you imprint upon it. 
Uh, so it's pretty short and sweet. It's card disadvantage, but you get a Mox. Uh, we've seen that before in Stronghold from Mox Diamond. Very, very similar type of card. Uh, but Chrome Mox was a little more restrictive, and Wizards decided to, you know, try it again. The, the magic <laughs> words that we all love to hear. One more time. Uh, so I guess, do we think Chromox is uh, appropriately powered for modern, or is it a little, a little too good? I, I can't possibly envision <laughs> Chromox coming off the ban list. A lot of these fast mana cards you'll see only in dedicated combo decks, yeah. but Chromox is so powerful it's seen play in basically every deck that's ever had the opportunity. You used to see blue-white control decks playing right. Chromox along with their right. thirst for knowledge. Mana leaking or remanding turn one seems way better than turn two. I, I actually don't agree that it would be that ubiquitous, although it's possible I'm wrong. Uh, but I would point towards a format where it's legal, uh, which is Legacy. And you don't see the fairest thing you'll see anyone trying to do with a Chrome Mox and Legacy is cast a turn one Dark Confidant, which is still quite good. Right. Uh, and most commonly you'll see it enabling a turn two kill via Storm. That is not really anything anyone's interested in allowing in modern. So when you think about it that way, it's like, well, uh, I can't really see this adding to the format in a positive way. There's no real need to find out. Right. <laughs> uh, moving on, we've got Cloudpost, which was not on the initial run of bans. Uh, Cloudpost was legal for the first modern Pro Tour, and that was pretty much the end of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Cloudpost <it's... laughs> was a super warping influence. Uh, it was essentially, in many ways, it was scapeshift, except that the land sort of killed you well, themselves. Right, it was, it was an amalgamation of what scapeshift is and what Tron is into one giant yeah. ball of danger. It did both things much better than either of the other decks. Uh, it was way more redundant, and it really it just t twisted the entire format around it, even though at the tournament itself it was not among you know the strongest performing decks. It was easily the most popular. It plagued Magic Online uh, up right. until the tournament, and in the end it was just decided it was too good and, and, and too resilient. Uh, but anyway, we've got, following on Fast Mana, we also have Rite of Flame and Seething Song, which are really similar cards. They were not banned at the same time, True. Uh, however. Seething Song was, as we discussed last week with Storm, a more recent addition to the banned list, but they essentially did the same thing, right. uh, which is, you know, make mana. Uh, go, and, go from two to five, or three to five versus two to three, which is netting you three mana over one mana, which is just a little bit too powerful for what really the Wizards wanted out of the format. Yeah, they're basically just rituals that could grant two mana, uh, which, yeah, they, they've banned Dark Ritual in formats before, and they don't want Rite of Flame and Seething Song for the same reason. We don't really need to wax philosophic on that right. when we had Storm last week. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, I consider these fast mana, although it's debatable that they are, and that is the Colored Artifact Lands. Right. Uh, Ancient Den and its Ilk are all in the banned list, and I actually think that you know, these are not that powerful. Like, I think Affinity wants its... Uh, man lands more right now than it does additional colored artifact lands. They'd be helpful for sure. So I guess the argument at that point is, do we want to make affinity any better, or are we satisfied with its current power level and these lands just don't need to be involved? Well, I mean, uh, something. these are cards that were banned in the format similar to how Bitter Blossom was, where this was mm -hmm. a big bad of Magic's history and we don't want them to have the thing that we considered the biggest offender of why they were the big bad of Magic's history, so let's just start it without them and not worry about it. And... I think really the greatest, because they already have some artifact lands, and or one artifact land, and it's, it's very powerful. It's one of the mm -hmm. most powerful cards in the deck, I would argue, especially now. But I think that it, all it would really do is allow them to kind of like play colors better, which is something that is like, it, it is a dil dilemma with Affinity, is like, mm -hmm. which colors do you pick to play and how do you play them? But it really, I don't know how dangerous it would actually end up being. Well, we've seen some of this in Legacy, too. I certainly don't think Affinity would be broken with the artifact lands, because there are a lot of very strong hosers for the deck in the format. Yeah. But 
it would make for a less fun play pattern, I think. As it stands, you can sort of fight affinity with normal removal and have fun interactive matches where they're the beatdown and you're trying to stave them off, but by powering up the deck a little bit, you kind of force it into a position where you either need to have the sideboard hate for it or die, and the affinity matches become a lot more of a coin flip and less of an interactive game. Right. I mentioned this in the first episode of the podcast when we went over affinity, but... You know, right now it's not quite there yet, but Affinity is close to being similar to how um, graveyard decks are in the older formats, where it's you either have the hate or you don't, and whoever has the hate wins, um, or doesn't have the hate wins. Yeah, I, I think that the artifact lands would push them further in that direction, as Jules pointed out. You know, a card like Stony Silence goes from being you know very good, which it is right now, borderline game winner, to like if your deck is running a bunch of additional artifact lands, like it straight up ends the game. Right. Uh, the artifact lands would also increase the variance in some of the cards, uh, you know, specifically like. Master of Ethereum and Arcbound Ravager get slightly better with these is additions, as well as Mox Opal, because they're all cards that key off of having more artifacts. Right. So adding consistency to that game plan means you can dive a little harder in. Mm-hmm. So, moving on, we've got a few cards that are on the list, specifically because they kill you. Right. Uh, someone casts them, <laughs> and you usually die immediately or very, very soon thereafter. Uh, or in the case of one of them, they just play it. Uh, so we're going to start with Hypergenesis, which is a card uh, people generally don't cast, but they often put onto the stack right, they cascade. via Cascade. Yeah. Uh, Hypergenesis is a, essentially a, a sort of redo of Eureka, uh, a popular older card, and it allows each player to just start putting permanents into play all willy-nilly. Uh, and it has a zero converted mana cost because it suspends in order to be able to cast. Right. So the Cascade cards all hit it. So people would frequently build their decks with Hypergenesis as the only card cheaper than the Cascade card and fill it with giant monsters. The deck managed to make the uh, top two of an extended Pro Tour, the one Brian Kibler won. Worth noting is that Hypergenesis was actually banned before uh, a lot of the cards that make it even more insane. Like, it is a, almost a legacy playable combo deck now, uh, with the addition of Chroma's Memorial and Emrakul, Aeon's Torn, which those weren't even around right, when, right. when they got rid of. <laughs> right? like, that wasn't like a thing anyone was thinking about doing, really. Yeah, well, it, you can see a lot of similar gameplay in the current Living End decks. You have yeah. the same basic setup, but those decks are both a lot easier to hate out and less crushing when the game plan goes off. So. Right, it, it They interact more on a level that decks are able to interact with in Modern, while this just wouldn't and would just be too powerful. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and you see, like, you know, those Emrakuls uh, and the other Eldrazi have... You know, that shuffle into the graveyard clause because it makes them a little trickier to right. get, you know, regenerative with uh, as far as something like Living End or a reanimate type spell. But Hypergenesis has no such constraint. It's simply right. the biggest, giantest, most deadliest thing in your hand and all of its friends, <laughs> which is an important <laughs> distinction. Uh, so I think we can all agree that that one deserves to stay banned and it's not going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on, we've got Glimpse of Nature, which is slightly fairer, actually. Uh, Glimpse of Nature was a little innocuous when it first came out uh, until Pro Tour Berlin, which was an extended format of Pro Tour, when everyone realized it was the most broken card that had been printed in Magic in a very long time. <laughs> uh, and it fueled, uh, I think, five of the top eight decks, maybe six, uh, something like that. Three different variations of the same Elves combo fueled by Glimpse of Nature, which is really exactly what it would do in Modern, with the possible exception of also fueling an Affinity Glimpse shell. Uh, are these things that we want to do in Modern? No. It just doesn't seem worth the risk. Yeah, and if you really want to do something like this, Wizards did print back call for you, so, you know, make do with what you got. So moving on, we have another combo deck, as this is the combo category, Second Sunrise, which was, uh, again, one of the more recent additions to the banned list, uh, and Second Sunrise was actually not so dissimilar from Glimpse of Nature, with the exception of it being an artifact-based and graveyard-oriented 
uh, combo deck that used a lot of triggers and ways to gain card advantage that way, uh, rather than casting a bunch of creatures from your hand. And it would simply wash, rinse, repeat the same board state over and over until it killed you with whatever it was killing you with. Right. What it comes down to is this had two problems. A, it was probably too powerful for the format, made a deck that was too strong and went off too early, but it was also a playstyle. I guess three things. A playstyle that Wizards didn't really want to be in the format, mm -hmm. along with the fact that it made coverage and then trying to make magic into a viewable, watch, watchable sport, to a certain extent, uh, unbearable. It, it was impossible to have coverage of this deck. There was a, literally a tournament, uh, GP San Diego, where Brian Kibler left the table, had a judge watch the game as the player was playing eggs across from him, went to the bathroom and came back before he even finished his first, like, the turn he was going off. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just a playstyle that really doesn't, you know, encourage good magic and so i don't think wizards wants this in the format yeah well i think the term play is a bit ambitious <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I definitely agree with that and i i think that bannings like this that are you know even if the power level of the card was reasonable which i think it was slightly too good uh the fact that it just creates an unfun game state means it's not really something you necessarily need to let people play with because when you do only one person gets to play with it right the other one stops uh so it kind of adds to this, you know, there's only a such such amount of fun that can be had in a match, and that player gets gets all of it right. <laughs> at that stage, right? <laughs> uh, moving on, we have Dark Depths, which I think everyone kind of saw that one coming when the format was conceived. Dark Depths has been uh, part of a number of combo decks in the extended format, which was sort of the... the Ugh. predecessor to the modern format. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dark Depths is actually, um, as combo decks go, among the more fair uh, that have been banned in modern. Even though it's super fast, uh, it usually features, you know, turn two 2020s, or not right. uncommon, uh, indestructible, you know, just because. Flying also, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to be able to block them. Right. <laughs> At the same time, there are, you know, a a plenty of ways to interact, kind of. You know, you've got Path to Exile, you have even something as innocuous as Bitter Blossom is incredibly <laughs> annoying to beat through. So, like, it's not like a Dark Depths player would just always win after making a 2020. But the card is incredibly powerful, incredibly efficient, and incredibly, I think, unfun. Moving on, our last super powerful combo is Blazing Shoal, which Wizards missed. This was a whiff. Um, right. <laughs> Blazing Shoal was banned in the fallout of the first modern Pro Tour when Sam Black ran it up to a... Uh, I believe the top four is where he lost to Raptor. Yeah. Uh, he lost to Josh Erlaton in the top four playing uh, a Blazing Shoal-fueled Infect deck, uh, which frequently could kill on turn two or three uh, via just exiling a Progenitus or a Reaper King onto uh, a yeah, uh, Ink Moth Nexus right. or any a invasion. Yeah, yeah, any invasion. Basically, the way that card works is it, you, know, you discard a card and target creature gets plus X plus zero, mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, you just discard things with 10 or above mana cost, and the creature now is a you know 10x, but when they're in fact, that's just lethal. Yeah. And most car most decks, especially at that time, couldn't block an evasive creature on turn two that was a 10-10 that just killed them instantly. Yeah, as we've talked about, you know, it wasn't as lightning bolt-centric a format back then either. We didn't have mm -hmm. Snapcaster Mage, so all of these ways to kill a creature were way less common. That said, I think this was is probably still too good, even with Snapcaster Mage. Uh, Abrupt Decay. Or, yeah, 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 like yeah. it's no, so fast. Well, <laughs> it, it brings up the same issue we were just talking about with Affinity. Even if you can imagine some setup yeah. where it's balanced, it never makes for a fun game. Right. And, and not to mention, it, it breaks the rule that Wizards is trying to enforce, which is no consistent turn four mm -hmm. before decks, because this consistently can win on turn two and three. Yeah. Um, it just needs a creature. <laughs> no one's sitting at home upset that they don't get to play with their Blazing Shoals. So I'm okay if we just say, 
Uh, speaking of cards that people might actually be upset they don't get to play with. I'm uh, upset. I'm really upset. Yeah, two, <laughs> we have two cards here that are banned for Dredge, which was very interesting to me at the inception of the banned list. I found it kind of silly. And up until about, I don't know, like two months ago, I found it still equally silly uh, that we have both Golgari Grave Troll, the best Dredge card uh, printed, and Dread Return, which is one of the best uh, Dredge combo pieces printed, both banned, right. uh, which seems very, very strange. Frequently, as you'll see later on the list when we talk about some cards, you when you have a, a, an interaction that's too good, you, you just ban the piece that makes it a little too good, or one of the pieces that makes it a little too good, and you leave the rest alone. Right. People people get to play with them. Uh, in this case, they, they took the Dread Return, which I think that's fine. That's right. totally fair. I will not begrudge you Dread Return. Uh, but then they took the, the Grave Troll. <laughs> They'll have Stinkweed Imp around. Stinkweed Imp's like 6% worse, worse yeah. than a Golgari Grave? I don't know. So, a- actually, I agree with these bannings. Uh, the issue with Grave Troll, in my mind, isn't so much its individual power. It's a critical mass of dredge cards. So Once if you, you have eight cards that dredge for more than I, four. I 100% agree that that's like the reason to ban it. But the thing is, without a dread return, what is a critical mass of dredge cards really doing? There are... It's a lot easier to make a broken graveyard deck than it might look like. We've seen, you know, a lot of Dread Return in formats like Legacy and Vintage, oh, but yeah. in Modern you have a little bit more time. It's not hard to conceive of, you know, milling some Vengevines and casting some Blood Ghasts and that being enough to get there. I mean, I, mean I, I agree with you that the critical mass is the thing, but, you know, someone could build a deck with four Golgari Thug, four Stinkweed Imp, and it's worse than four Golgari Grave Troll, four Stinkweed Imp, but, like... Uh, but they would be playing twelve rather than four. Like I mean, it, if it were replacing a card, I would. I mean, there are you know they could also. We can keep going from there. There are other ones. Well, you're I, just I think scaling it down worse and worse a little bit. Part of me, I think you could unban Grave Troll and maybe ban um, Bridge from Below. I think that's a card that doesn't work the way Magic is supposed to work, and I think that that deck still could do interesting things like when Burial Rites and other stuff mm-hmm. or yeah. Vengeance in play. But I also think like when this was banned, Graveyard Hate was at a much lower power level than it is right now. Rest in Peace is a card that sees play in many decks. Uh, you know, people main deck Scavenging Ooze. So, like, they're... I mean, I, I want to say, actually, like, six months ago, this was even less powerful because mm-hmm. Death yeah. Shaman was the most played card in the format. Now that that's not true, maybe it, it might be... Their power level has gone up and their unbannability maybe went up with it. But I think, like, from a person who has tried making the Dredge Vine archetype in modern work to a great extent, the Graveyard Hate still is just too strong in the format. And yes, maybe people would play more of it, but I only think actually that helps the format because other cards that are sub- like objectively powerful are weak against Graveyard Height, and it's just it's, the Graveyard Height is not strong enough right now for it to be worth it, yeah. like Pod. Well, I, I agree on the scavenging news front. The rest, rest in Peace still runs into the same issue we've been talking about with a lot of these broken decks mm-hmm. with non-games, but scavenging news allows for interaction without completely turning off the deck and is in a good place. Uh, we've recently seen Anafeza, the foremost was Another, printed. Right, it's right. unclear if she'll be powerful enough for modern, but again is a sort of main deckable right. card that hits yeah. on graveyards. And if we see a little bit more of that, I would be comfortable allowing the graveyard decks a little bit more room to it, play. It's also, it's a playstyle that in modern has for some reason always been like the one that just isn't really that viable. And it's a playstyle that like a lot of people like playing. Similar to, I think, like how Valkut is currently wasn't playable and then they made it playable because mm-hmm. it's a playstyle people like people like ramping and then playing a spell that yeah. lets them win. This is a similar way of playing that there is no deck in the format that allows it. If I were to pick some cards on this list that were most that I would like to see unbanned and mm-hmm. have a potential to be, because I don't think they're that 
objectively powerful. I think Golgari Grave Control coming off of the ban list it wouldn't be too powerful. I yeah. think that these two cards are very different from basically all of the cards that we've discussed so far in that they actually don't, you know, specifically fuel into some degenerate thing that's the only thing you would ever do with it. You know, like, I'm sure there are some people who are bummed that they don't get to play Second Sunrise in their Tezzeret deck or whatever. Right. But, like, those people are a huge minority, whereas there's actually a number of decks where I could see a Dread Return or Grave Gravetroll, you know, doing something or spawning something completely new that aren't fully oriented around trying to dredge, trying to bridge from below Narc Amoeba people, right. you know, it's, it's I, I agree on the Grave Troll, not so much the dread return, even right. if that's oh, not yeah, yeah. even I mean, if that's not in a dredge deck, it's doing something broken, you don't play that card I don't think do it's something. necessarily that broken, like, you know, you could definitely, like, you have on Burial Rites that is a relatively similar Four mana and zero are very different. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I agree 100% that they're definitely a, a different level, but my point is, like, what you're trying to do is sort of like, st it's still magic, you know, you're still like, I'm gonna assemble these pieces to do this thing with this guy, Well, I think it's a little different. I think I, I agree uh, that Bridge is like of these th two cards, like the fact that Bridge is still legal, it's like only because without them Bridge is crap. Right. right. But like why is Bridge even legal? It's not a magic card. It should have a different back. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just isn't. Uh, you can I mean, play it and it what, doesn't work. <laughs> I, I would certainly be happy swapping Bridge and Grave Troll on yeah, this Yeah, list. I agree with that. Right. I, I, what it comes down to is Umbarial Rights kind of does what this, uh, what Dread Return would do in a fair way. And having a mid-rangey yeah deck that kind of is doing what this deck would be doing is much more interesting in the format. It makes it a turn four deck. If that's the kill condition, getting Grizzlebrand on turn four is not more powerful than other ways to get Grizzlebrand yeah, to play that. I, I think legal. they're different, and I think Dread Return is definitely better, more powerful, and pushes the levels, uh, but I also think it also... But I also think that it appeals to a reasonable sensibility as right. well. I just think that it it hits both audiences, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, a card like Blazing Shoal, you can't say that. You can't say people are interested in doing something cool with Blazing Shoal. <laughs> so in conclusion, Wizards, unban Grave Troll, unban Bridge from Below, and you'll make well, a bunch I, of I don't. People. I did say about two months ago, I kind of changed my mind, and that's, I think Delve might make Golgari Grave Troll actually legitimately dangerous. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to leave that till we're talking yeah. about Cons of Tarkir, but Yeah, we, we can leave it a little bit, but so, like, up, up until two months ago, I still was 100% like, why is this card banned? It makes no sense. But now, uh, we, we can talk about it, right. but there, there are potentially causes for concern. Uh, moving along, we talked a little bit about the nature of an enabler just now for Dredge, yep. uh, because, you know, we mentioned they didn't ban every card with Dredge, they just banned the ones that were allowing it to do broken things, you know, except for Bridge. But <laughs> we have uh, cantrips that were banned in the fallout of Pro Tour Philadelphia. Again, the first modern Pro Tour, and we saw these hit the axe because they made the combo decks uh, just too consistent. Uh, which, you know, we still see that happening in Legacy, but that's okay, because it's supposed to be unfair. Uh, those cantrips are Ponder and Preordain, uh, which were, which are among the two best cantrips ever printed. Preordain, interestingly enough, uh, a recent standard printing at the time. Right. Well, I mean, the, there are three of the best, there are three best cantrips. One of them is Brainstorm, which is another card that is up there for the argument of best card ever printed. <laughs> and then there are these two. And, you know, when they were in the format, they allowed most of the degenerate combo deck to be just just too good. Yeah, it was just a little bit faster. Splinter Twin just had Twin on turn four after their turn three guy like, a little yeah, too, too often. often. Yeah. yeah. I mean, already it feels like Twin is getting their combo off consistently on turn four. This makes it so that there is, like, there's no question that that's just what's going to happen unless you have a response. Well, it a lot of the difference, too, is when you get the power level up a little bit higher on these things, the combo decks don't need to dedicate quite as much room to filtering to get it consistent. <laughs> so, as it is, you know, you have a wide range of twin decks. Some of them are playing more of a tempo game, and some are really focused on the combo, and the ones that are focused on the combo can't interact with the opponent very well outside right. of, you know, 
tapping something with Pester Might. But if you can consistently get your combo with, you know, two or three fewer slots for cantrips, that opens you up to other cards in those places. Yeah, right. especially considering that these cards are so good because their dig is so much better. Uh, you know, we take Serum Visions, which is you know, still legal, and it is essentially just preordained, but somebody ordered it differently. Right. Uh, and the difference is huge. Uh, right. Serum Visions cannot get you the card that you need three cards deep on time. It, it just can't, it, mm -hmm. unless you're just, you know, really lucky. Uh, but Preordain can actually boast that ability. I, I've heard many people say that it is the card that we deserve and not the card we need. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Every time I cast a Serum Vision, I basically just, like, inner, inside shake my head at right. myself. It's like, Batman. what am I doing here? This is horrible. Why am I playing this? Um, and then I guess the last card on this list is Top, which we kind of wedged in here because it didn't yeah. really fit anywhere else. Top is probably not of a power level that is too high for the format and is more on this uh, on the ban list due to tournament constraints. And that's what Wizards just said. This card is not too powerful. It's that it makes tournaments unfunctional. Uh, yeah, it, it takes a long time to rearrange the top three cards of your deck once per turn cycle, uh, it turns out. If at least. If yeah, not, at like, least. I, I, I mean, I play Miracles. Fetch land. Yeah. Right. I, I play Miracles in Legacy, and I've definitely like topped five times in a turn oh, yeah. because I'm same. just like, oh, I need to answer this. Okay, uh, fetch. Nope. Uh, use a tutor that gets something in on top. Okay, nope, nope, didn't happen. It's just like it, yeah. it's degenerate. <laughs> it's also reasonable to include top as a as a card that you know is a little bit banned because of its synergy with another card, counterbalance, right. uh, which also again you know it's a horrible play experience. Talking about the difference between some of the combo decks, you know, I I don't mind some things that kill me immediately because at least I don't have to sit there. Right. Uh, but when I have to sit there like I would against Second Sunrise and uh, the Eggs deck, that's, you know, frustrating. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do that. Soft flocks are sometimes more miserable than yes. the hard just playing. I would say they are almost always more miserable. Right. I think yeah. if you were to, like, to Paul people, like just on like an actual emotional response to what happened to them in the game, they would right. definitely be like, yeah, I would much rather be dead and playing the next game. Right. <laughs> now, this is horrible. <laughs> now, I don't think that top and counterbalance are as powerful in modern as they are in Legacy for two reasons. One, because... Just Abrupt Decay is a much more ubiquitous card. It's played much more often yeah. in Modern than Legacy because mm -hmm. it answers more of the permits that are important. And also Legacy's uh, current variant mana cost on cards oh, yeah. on average is much lower. That like Modern has a much more broad spectrum of cards that are playable sure. in, in cost. So, you know, it's not as much of a soft lock because you Definitely. don't need three possible preferred mana costs they have to worry about. You need six. It's just another thing where it's like, this is not a positive thing. I wouldn't right, want right, this right, to be right. around. Uh, but you could look forward to all rounds ending 30 <laughs> minutes after time is called. Yeah, it's a delight. Just a delight. Especially if there was a deck check. Uh, all right, so we talked a little bit about, you know, cards that don't kill you immediately. So let's talk about some of those. The good cards. Right. These cards are on the list just because they're, they're good. too good. Yeah, they <laughs> either really at one point dominated a format pre-modern that was just yeah. too strong and they decided not to show up, or during modern's hate like time in the world, they showed, oh, no, we don't want this around yeah. anymore. It makes it too strong. I think mm -hmm. some of these cards could possibly come, I mean, as we'll talk when we get to yeah. them, can come off the list, but, you know, some of them are just too powerful. Yeah, and these are also the cards that I would say most people, you know, when they talk about balance, these are the cards where they're like, I miss playing with this. Right, right. I mm -hmm. want this one around. These are yeah. probably the, like, so far everything we've talked about have been, other than maybe some of the ones that we've talked about, that yeah. we liked, like Agari Gravesholt, these are the most fun cards that are banned. Yeah, because, you know, after you cast them, both of you keep playing a game of Magic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different uh, you, from most of the other cards. One of the complaints about Modern originally that I think has kind of stopped being a complaint is that because there's these favorite cards that were banned, people didn't feel like they were, pow like, they didn't feel like the Eternal Format was powerful mm. enough. And now that... Mm -hmm. Six sets have come out since, you know, there are multiple blocks have come out since the format started. This has changed, but especially at the moment, this felt like 
the carp being like ripped out from yeah. under you and like I want to play with the super powerful card and it's not available to me. And right? we did already talk about, you know, Wild Nacatl, Bitter Blossom, Valakut, all of those cards would essentially have appeared down in this category. Right, right, right. Uh, and as modern has become, you know, the power levels increase, the cards are more efficient, certain answers are available, mm -hmm. they've come off the list. So we could see some similar things happening. Uh, I don't think that's the case for the vast majority of these, uh, although I might like it. <laughs> uh, so let's just get it started with the big daddy, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Everyone's favorite card. Anyone, anyone here <laughs> campaigning for Jason Martin? Uh, <laughs> as Patrick Chapin has stated, better than all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what it comes down to is I think that Jace's power level, especially if a few of the other cards that we've talked about were unbanned, could survive in Modern, but I think it's similar to what Mana Drain would be, and Wizards could never admit to this, but Mana Drain is banned in Legacy, and they would never unban it because it's already a $150 card, and if it was playable, it's probably not oppressive, but... What it's going to do isn't that interesting, and it's also going to raise a card that, like, no one has them. No one's going to yeah. be able to get them. They'll go from a $100 card to a $500 card that no one can afford. If Jace was unbanned, it's already a $100 to $200 card. It would become $400 in Modern, and just all it would do is make the format unplayable and unable to be played That's what Legacy people. really needs to a card availability problem. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, aside from any costing issues in theory, they could, you know, reprint Jace the Mind Sculptor along with right, an unbanning. I, yeah. It just, uh, I don't think is a card you really want. It's card filtering so powerful that even at four mana, combo decks are willing to play it, and the decks that aren't trying to combo out with it will end up using Jace as a win condition because he does that, which leads us back to mm -hmm. your opponent sitting there drawing to no right. acts for 20 turns as you fate seal them. Uh, moving along, uh, another form of card advantage, not nearly as good as Jace, is Ancestral Vision, which is actually uh, among these the cards on this list probably one of the more balanced cards. Uh, as crazy as that might sound. It is a single blue mana to suspend. Uh, you can't really cast it. Uh, and it draws three cards when it unsuspends four turns later. So it's Ancestral Recall, but you put a down payment on, and four turns later you actually get it to resolve. Um, so I have a theory on this one, and we're actually going to see how that turns out because there's a newer version of this that was just printed, uh, Treasure Cruise. But I think that the reason that they might be unwilling to print it is... I don't think they know exactly what the power level of this card is. I think it's possible that it's not good enough, and if they unban it and it's just, like, decent, then fine. But if it's too good, the exact type of decks that become too good are back to the philosophies where we it's decks that they maybe not want to see powerful in the format. When those decks are too strong, it's an issue, so why risk it for something that they can't really perceive that would gain them that much by unbanning it? Uh, see, I, I actually disagree. I'm pretty confident this card is too good and was underestimated when it was in standard. It's just uh, so often you don't need turn one interaction, and this just allows you to get ahead later on without any, you know... Real effort. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is cheap, and it takes advantage of a turn in which a lot of decks, you're right, don't require interaction. Uh, it's just kind of questionable to me when we see, you know, something like Treasure Cruise getting printed. It's like, how much better is a Treasure Cruise than a Vision? It is definitely not as good as Vision, I think. Uh, but at the same time, it's not strictly worse. There are definitely scenarios where I'd much rather be cruising. It's essentially, like, any time <laughs> I draw the card after turn, you know, three, I would much rather be drawing Treasure Cruise, regardless of my deck. Yeah, I, I guess my contention is I don't think... Vision is a problematic card anytime except on turn one, and you will never be casting Treasure Cruise for one mana on your first turn. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, to be fair, uh, I actually discussed this card with Jerry Thompson once, and he said, if they unban that card, I will show them why they should ban it again. <laughs> so uh, that's that was a call out on that one, and I don't feel like I don't feel like it will be unbanned just because unlike the the cards we've discussed previously, Wild Nacatl, Bitter Blossom, Valakut, you know, those cards all made decks 
available, made the format more diverse. Ancestral Vision would not do that. It's right. not like someone would be like, oh sweet, my Ancestral Vision deck. Uh, moving along, the king of efficiency, I think, on the list. Mental Misstep. Uh, single blue mana or two life to counter a spell that costs one. Uh, I think that this one, whether it could be unpanned or not, should stay exactly where it is. Well, I mean... <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory that they printed this card to kill Legacy, and yeah. <laughs> well, it, it almost worked. Right, and it almost worked. And then and they got chicken. Like, yeah, I think they, like part of it is like they decided that modern was a more like a be- sorry, they decided modern was a better way of doing the thing that they were trying to do by killing Legacy for Magic as a game. And, you know, it, because of that, it, I don't see it being unprinted. All it's going to do is just bad things for a format that they want to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, like, super busted or anything. I mean, it's it's obviously just always a trade, which, you know, that's not that bad. It's just a card right. that trades for another card. Lightning Bolt does that the vast majority of the time. Uh, but Mental Misstep locks people out in some pretty uncool ways. With Snapcaster Mage, it's super mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Another issue I think is just you fall into the fact that any deck can play it, and Wizards is not interested in you know every deck having access to counterspells in that way, especially if that yeah. at that level of efficiency where it's like even forcible requires you to have blue cards. This doesn't have any <laughs> real requirement. You need life, yeah. <laughs> and then the deck's already playing counterspells. If you've ever you know been upset by your permission opponent having to let you resolve a spell before they countered every subsequent one, not anymore. Right. I mean, the the argument for this being unbanned is that probably the two most oppressive cards I, people have made the argument are Lightning Bolt and Thoughtseize in the format, and this is the best answer ever printed to both of those cards, but the other side of that is, it's also the best answer to, like, pretty much everything of that you know, mm-hmm. level of interaction. It just makes turn one impossible. Yeah, I'd be interested to see which deck would emerge dominant in a Mental Misstep Modern. Yeah, uh, Because sure. I think there's, you could make a lot of cases. My, my gut, I actually like the idea, of, I think Infect would be very, very good if it had Mental Misstep to fuel itself. True. It's certainly vulnerable to mental misstep, but legacy legal mental misstep era proved that being vulnerable to a mental misstep does not discount you. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. like, it, it is it just means you're playing efficient spells. <laughs> the the other side of it is like I think of many of these cards, it's possible that Mental Misstep is the most format shaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, it like, all bad. these other cards will just be... This deck, this card is now the most powerful card in the format, period. Mm-hmm. Mental Misstep is every single deck is going to change. So because... I, I, I'm curious, but I'm not that curious, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a card I'm definitely not even a little bit curious about, we can take next, Skull Clamp. Skull Clamp, uh, probably one of R&D's greater mistakes uh, in the history of Magic the Gathering. So this one's actually a funny story for anyone oh, who hasn't is. heard it. Uh, Skullclamp was originally going to give the creature plus one, plus one, but they found that was too good and decided to host it at the last minute. Yep. <laughs> if you go through the M-Files uh, series written on dailymtg.com, you'll fre- frequently find a lot of development mistakes end with at the last minute, we decided to insert change that made card too good. Spoiler alert, we've got another one of those coming up next. <laughs> next, Umazawa's Jete. I don't see this being unbanned either. I mean, I think it's it's a little bit more fair than some of these other cards, but I also think it's just as equally as oppressive as some of the cards before it, and it just makes all, it kind of just makes every single creature match up the same. Uh, yeah, Umazawa's Jete is a very cheap 
piece of equipment at two mana. Uh, you know, twice as expensive as a Skull Clan, but uh, it also equips for two and it has three abilities. Count them three. Uh, so the Jitte can do a lot of different things. It makes your creature larger, plus two plus two by removing a charge counter. It gains you life, two life, uh, by removing a charge counter. So you can save yourself, you can save your guy, you can kill your opponent, and you can kill their creatures. Minus one, minus one remove a charge counter. Imagine Goyf mirror matches with this card in the format, or yeah. any, any type of any creature, creature combat. Mirror, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jitte, I, I kind of agree with you in that it's a card that is, again, you know, it's designed to exist on a level that modern does. You know, it interacts in, with creature-based combat, right. life mm -hmm. totals, attacking, like these are all things they want to promote in modern. Uh, but the real obnoxious part of Jitte came from when it was legal, which was back then the legend rule, uh, you know, you could only, whenever you played one, it would destroy the other. Right, so right, it was right. frequently played really commonly as an answer to itself because right. it was very efficient. And when your opponent didn't have a Jitte, you, got you a had a Jitte. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, so that was a really obnoxious season. There were just a lot of decks playing the full amount of this legendary card to try and trade it off. And nobody was really that interested in it. I think now with the new legend rule... Uh, that would obviously not happen because if you want to kill a Jitte now, you just play Ancient Grudge or something. Like you get now, I, unfortunately, with that that interaction, it becomes very, very snowbally. The first person yeah. who gets a Jitte is going to keep the other person from ever having a creature on board. So I'm like a little bit interested in it because I'm not 100% sure that it would be too insane. A lot of cards that you know deal with it very reasonably are already popular, such as Spellser and Ancient Grudge. Uh, I am wary of exactly the issue Jules discussed. When they actually changed the Legend Rule, I, I joked that in Legacy, every every card was going to be under the new Legend Rule, except for Jitte, which would be <laughs> under the first Legend Rule, <laughs> which is the first one wins. Uh, not a very fun Legend Rule. So uh, that, ex that issue does exist, but because Modern is already so laden with answers to it, I kind of think it would not be that insane. I do think actually, the, the you, you just mentioned it, the most comparable card is Birthing Pod, where it's a card that slides into a creature deck that kind of starts letting it do degenerate things in a format about possibly doing degenerate things that previously they weren't allowed to. And, and it, it, versatility is another thing that Birthing Pod is all really about, and GTA is also kind of, that it's, that's its game. I mean, really, I'm just an incentive-based creature, you know? You want me to attack, give me a carrot. <laughs> Those charge counters are a sweet carrot. I'll do it. Um, so on the versatility, before we move on, I thought I better mention the GTA development story uh, <laughs> since I hinted at that. Yeah, yeah, so, sure, sure. Uh, GTA doesn't get as much play for all three of its abilities. You know, the pump and life gain come up, but most of the time it's killing creatures. And that ability actually wasn't on it until very late in development. It produced black mana until they... Somebody pointed out helpfully that that was no longer part of Black's color pie and didn't quite work timing-wise in the rules because the mana generation can't be responded mm -hmm. to and the other abilities can. Uh, so they went, man, we need a new black effect for this. <laughs> <laughs> Got one. Uh, if I recall, actually, I think the design file compared it unfavorably to Banshee's Blade. If I recall, like, that was that was a legitimate in R and D conversation. Like, yeah, isn't Banshee's Blade just better than this? <laughs> at some point uh, in its in its design, I think it might have cost three or something at that point. But it was definitely comical to read. Uh, moving on, we've talked about some equipment. Let's talk about the mother of equipment, yes. uh, Stoneforge Mystic. So I would love to see this card ban. <laughs> it, it would. It, it, <laughs> I don't think it is in any way going to happen, but it, it's definitely something that I think White would have fun with. <laughs> I'd enjoy casting Stoneforge Mystics on turn two and winning on yeah, turn... Correct me if I'm wrong, I think Stoneforge Mystic was comically uh, 
banned in modern but legal in standard, right? For a duration? Uh, well, it was temporarily, it was banned in standard except that they'd already stuck it into in one deck. of the event decks. Yeah, so you were yeah, allowed yeah. to play it if you had the exact deck list uh -huh. of the event deck. Uh, so the only way I can see Stoneforge Mystic possibly being legalized in modern would certainly start with the banning of Batter Skull. You cannot allow those two cards to coexist in a format because right. it, it's just too yeah. good. Uh, and, and that goes against kind of Blizzard's belief in banning policies, which is you ban the thing that allows something to be degenerate, not the thing that just with its, like, you know, Batter Skull is not going to be the best equipment forever, or it, maybe it is, but there are other powerful equipment out there that are of a similar power level, so just banning Batter Skull wouldn't be enough to make uh, Yeah, I, I think you'd have to start there, and it's possible you could end there. It's more likely you'd have to keep going, but the biggest the biggest concern is actually what it does to the future of magic design, because as long as Stoneforge Mystic is legal, you have to think about it every time you print an equipment. Right. You literally have to think, how does this card mm -hmm. interact with Stoneforge Mystic? So I think that it is much safer to go ahead and just axe the Stoneforge Mystic here. Agreed. And even though it is a uh, very powerful card and Modern is designed to interact with it, I don't think we necessarily want to. <laughs> uh, moving along, another value king here, Bloodbraid Elf. Uh, Bloodbraid Elf, not on the original list, added later on. 3-2 haste for 4 with a little, little cascade on the side. So yeah, you, just, you have free spell, free spell. Uh, this is, it's an interesting card. I actually think of many of the cards, this could possibly be the most likely to come off. Purely off the fact that I think it took a it, it took a bullet for someone else that deserved the bullet. And <laughs> that, you know, they might go back now that that other thing has finally been shot, which we'll get to later. It, 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 it I don't think is too powerful of a card. I think it's possible it is, but I don't think it is the most powerful card. Yeah, you you took the words right out of my mouth. I actually would like to discuss these two together if we can. Sure, go So nuts. next on our list is, of course, Deathrite Shaman. And right after Return to Ravnica was printed, Jund took the modern metagame by storm. Uh, you know, coincidentally. <laughs> uh, and they didn't want... Well... I can't speak for them. I think <laughs> the thought process was that they didn't want to ban a card that had just been printed, and so opted to hose Jun by banning Bloodbraid Elf instead. Right. What basically ended up happening is Bloodbraid Elf was similar to Bitter Blossom and the Artifact Lands, where it was the big bad of a previous big bad standard deck. And so they felt probably more comfortable with saying, well, this card could be banned because it's the, the most apparent card in the deck that's powerful. Sure. Mm -hmm. And... It also let them get away with the fact that, oh, this card that we wanted to be, like, a flagship of the set we just printed, that literally is still in standard and was printed less than four months ago. Let's keep that in the format for now, see if it's really too strong, and get rid of the card that we think is too powerful. In the end, this didn't really accomplish what they wanted, and, you know, Death or Shaman needed to be banned a year later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree that there was some public relations fuel on this particular fire. When Death or Shaman, immediately following Pro Tour Seattle, uh, I actually rather publicly about it was like as soon as Return to Ravnica rotates out of standard Deathrite Shaman is getting banned in modern like there's just no way they let it right. continue and they actually banned it earlier than I thought they would which kudos which is, to them for that which is probably just because as we mentioned before they like doing the modern bannings around yeah, the modern right. pro tour so mm -hmm. at that time I did not have that particular uh, schedule, schedule yeah. right. so like it, it made sense when they did it and I was happy to see it and it did make things a little more interesting uh, that said I I think Deathrite Shaman is not too good for modern, but is warping. I think Bloodbraid Elf is definitely not too good for modern and is definitely not warping. Uh, it's just a good 
card, a, a value-laden creature, and we have a number of those. Right, I mean, for four mana, you get two cards, and you can build your deck to be a little bit more powerful than it should be, but there are ways the Fight Blood Raid Off that kind of, you know, go on value, like, you know, Wall of Omens would just get better if Blood Raid Off right. was in the farming, and it fights True. it on a very similar level. You know, um, Cryptic Command would still be a very good card, and that would be helped, and maybe become more ubiquitous, because you need it for these fights. But what it comes down to... This card took the bite for the Deathrite Shaman bullet, and now that Deathrite Shaman is gone, it's very possible that it's po like allowed to be come, come back and have fun in the party of Marmon that now, we all love. I, I'd like to play devil's advocate for a minute. Sure. I certainly don't think Bloodbraid Elf is too powerful for modern, but there's an argument for leaving it on the list, which is before Bloodbraid Elf was banned, we only saw Jund as a deck. Nowadays, we, can see, we see... Uh, these black green mid range decks in straight black green Jund, uh, Abzan yeah, colors. Yeah. Oh, you mean specifically that Jund was the mid range deck versus diversity? Okay. Right, we get a little bit more diversity without Bloodbraid Elf because we know it is only for Lightning Bolt and it's possible to forego that, but when sure. you get both Bolt and Bloodbraid, it's really hard to justify leaving red out of right. the deck. We now have three, and that's why in our. In our um, Gauntlet, when we go through each deck, we have three different black-green X decks, and Bloodbraid Elf might be the, you know, just going back to the single one. Um, Which would make our Gauntlet way easier, so I'm in favor of that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other side of that is, yes, it might hurt diversity, but there is an issue in Modern where you want people to feel like they're playing with powerful spells, and Bloodbraid Elf gives you that feeling without, like, almost every other card in this format we've talked about mm -hmm. could be very format warping, mm -hmm. um, with maybe the exception of Golgari's Grave Troll, which we talked about. But <laughs> um, this one wouldn't be. We know exactly kind of what it would do, and the biggest mm -hmm. thing it might do is just kind of make it so black-green decks become more, mm -hmm. you know, simplified, or there's only Jun instead of right. three. And I honestly totally think that I don't think Junk would go away. I think that maybe just straight black green might, but I think the fact that you know lingering souls is still a very powerful card and very good against cards like Bloodbraid Elf makes it so junk would probably stick around in some form. I mean, before the banning, we saw four color Jund decks that yeah. were splashing white for lingering souls. I could see a split between Jund and those, but I think it would be unlikely to see a lot of people for going right. red. Right, I, I agree with that. Uh, Personally, I'm when it comes to ban lists, uh, currently a minimalist. Like if if I cannot ha include it on the ban list, I would want it not on the ban list. Fair. And I recognize that is not necessarily a popular view, and it's certainly mm -hmm. not the view with which Wizards uh, governs the ban list. For example, like I would have been totally fine with, you know, returning the artifact lands, returning seeding song, even uh, returning grave troll, probably returning preordain, or maybe the uh, we've already discussed bloodbraid elf. Like I, I I'm just I'm cool. Like, right, I, right. If it's really broken, get rid of it. Otherwise. Let me see what happens. Right, and, uh, and so in that light, I, I of course endorse mm -hmm. just allowing Bloodbraid Elf. However, it does contribute to that diversity issue which you brought up, which that is among Wizards' goals. Wizards wants there to be different decks. Now, I think there's a pretty strong argument to say like a bunch of different overgrown tuned right. Thoughts Are these really decks is really decks. not that different. Uh, that's a completely different argument. Right, but Th there's also the point that you know cons came out. And I mean, I'm not saying necessarily maybe some of the cards and cons, or the special, specifically the Abzan cards, mm -hmm. raise junk to be slightly better than it was before this set came out. Sure. But it, it definitely offers 
Like, for instance, that rhino is Blood Braid Elf in many different ways, and they could fight on a similar axis, and I'm not saying it's naturally modern playable, but it has the potential to be, yeah. as does Anafenza, which is a, you know, just basically brick walls Blood Braid Elf, and if some of these other cards we're talking about kept unbanned, yeah. mm-hmm. is definitively much more playable than it currently is. Truthfully, I actually think that Blood Braid Elf would make the Doran Mardu, Char- or Mardu Ascendancy deck, like, way, way better, because uh, Blood Braid Elfing into a Mardu Ascendancy is a pretty sizable game, so that, <laughs> that, that yeah, would yeah. be kind of interesting. Uh, but I, I generally these two creatures are essentially quite good, quite efficient, and not really broken. Deathrite Shaman, it's the issue. I, the biggest issue I have with Deathrite Shaman is not that it's too good for modern because it's basically really, really good in modern, but not necessarily too good. It's that the best mana creature in the format should not be a black one-two that also <laughs> right. can kill you. That is not okay. <laughs> See, it's actually the last part I take contention with. I, I would argue yeah. Deathrite Shaman is too good with all these other powerful mana creatures like Birds of Paradise, Noble Hierarch, I, sh- I should say, like, contextually, like, because of all the removal that the format's filled with, like, it's not like a Deathrite Shaman existing is, like, super warping because everyone comes to the party ready to kill it or race it. Sure. But, uh, but I, I, think- I, I can agree with you, like, objectively it is... On too high power levels. Yeah, I, I wasn't even saying, like, as far as ramping, just all of these other mana creatures, you make a big sacrifice where you draw them in the late game and they're terrible, and Deathrite Shaman is just still very good. Yeah, yeah I, 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 yeah, I disagree with you on I think Deathrite Shaman could be classified as one of the best creatures ever printed. Oh, it certainly is, but I, so is Tarmogoyf and easily. True, and, but I think that what Tarmogoyf does is he attacks you, and you have to be able to deal with that one thing that it does, while Deathrite Shaman, like is this all-star player almost every single way you possibly could want a card to be. I, I agree he is certainly among the most versatile creatures. Uh, so so in summation, it seems like we're, we're all kind of interested in maybe Bloodbraid Elf coming back. Could mm-hmm. be could be interesting, could be a little worse. Deathrite Shaman, probably too good. I'm, I'm curious to see a world where it wouldn't be, but I'm, I'm not that... It's not like I think, oh man... Oh. It's not like I think, oh man, I wish I could play with Deathrite Shaman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we've all finished up our, you know, these cards are just sweet. And we're going to go to the last category, which are synergistic cards. These cards generally work very well with cards that are already legal. We've included a few cards already on this list that, you know, might you might argue could go in this section. But such as, you know, Blazing Shoal with Infect Creatures or uh, Dark Depths with Vampire Hexmage. But the difference between those cards is what defines them is actually how broken they are when that synergy comes to light versus cards that are just, you know, pretty good, but you keep playing Magic. Right, this is kind of like the baby brother of the big brother that is I win instantly, where these are I win, but it's going to take a a much grindier approach to the situation, and there are more ways for you to get around it. It's just, it's a little too powerful versus just blatantly not good for a format. So speaking Mm -hmm. of grind, let's go ahead and just start off with the grindiest, Sword of the Meek. Yep. Explain what that does. Anyone have any fun on it? (laughs) So Sword of the Meek is a two-mana equipment. It equips, I believe, four, four. Uh, Maybe. Is it two and two? It's two and two. Sword of the Meek is a two-mana equipment. It equips for two. Gives the creature plus one, plus two. Pretty broken so far. (laughs) But where the real rub is, is uh, whenever a one-one enters the battlefield, it comes from the graveyard back into play and equips itself to that creature. Uh, I, I know what you're thinking. That doesn't sound really all that silly, but that's where the synergy part comes in. Uh, there's a card in Modern called Thopter Foundry, uh, which is uh, black and, and a hybrid white, blue-white. Hybrid. No, it's oh, blue, a blue, yeah, blue you're right. Yeah. It's a blue and then a hybrid white or black mana uh, for an artifact, and you can pay one sacrifice an artifact to create a 1-1 flying Thopter and gain a life. Yeah, just, just for on the cake. Uh, so, in conjunction with Sword of the Meek, you can turn one mana into a 1-1 flying artifact and a life. And you can just keep Do that doing that. that as much mana that. as you have. Yeah. yeah. So, 
it has two different things. One is the life gain effect eventually makes it so you just lock aggro opponents out of the board, and then you also just get insurmountable force, similar to Bitter Blossom, but instead of one a turn, you get as much land as you have, which should be increasing every turn, so it just makes it so you pretty much win as soon as you get the combo in play, and it's also pretty resilient because of things like Academy Ruins, which lets you get the one piece back and the other piece that literally just can't die because it keeps coming back from the graveyard. Yeah, it defends you via the life, it defends you via the creatures, it kills the opponent via the creatures, and it can actually fight graveyard hate a little bit because you can keep the sword on ice in play uh, until you've handled whatever it is that is actually shutting off the graveyard. Or, you know, just allowed their Relic of Progenitus trigger to res or activation, allowed their Relic of Progenitus activation to resolve. So it's, uh, yeah, pretty potent. And I don't think it contributes to any kind of game state that people are super interested in playing, even if it's not necessarily that insane. Uh, you've pointed out already, you've pointed out already, Alex, that we have more ways to handle graveyards than we used to. Mm -hmm. I still, I yep. still think that this one is just not worth it. Uh, moving along, we have another one. I think it's really similar. Oh yeah, they're actually. Like, agree. Feel like they're the exact same oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> you, you basically feel the same. And well, this is... one your opponent's gaining the life. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one is punishing fire. Uh, this one, unlike Sword of the Meek, is actually quite good in Legacy. Sword of the Meek sees some pretty fringe play in Legacy, but punishing fire continues to be a, a solid role player. Uh, and punishing fire is one in a red instant deal two damage to target creature or player. Whenever your opponent gains life, you can pay a red mana and return it from your graveyard to your hand. Yep, broken again. Uh, this case, this time the interaction comes along with Grove of the Burn Willows, which is a land that taps for colorless mana, or you can give your opponent a life to get red or green mana. Does it tap for colorless mana? Yeah. Yeah, okay, continue. <laughs> uh, so naturally, in conjunction with Grove of the Burn Willows, you can essentially pay three mana for shock with buyback over and over and over and over. Uh, your opponent will be gaining life. However, fortunately, once you're done killing everything they play, you have shock with buyback. <laughs> so they will stop. I mean, this this is one of the main cards with Deathrite Shaman that made Jund playable in Legacy. Really, mm -hmm. when you break it down. It still mean, is. Still, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, th this is a card that once again, we're talking about making it so creature decks are playable is doing the opposite of that by like a wide margin that would probably just destroy any possibility of really attacking with creatures in the format being a viable thing. And this is actually a big part of what the problem with Wild Nakato was back when mm -hmm. it was originally banned. It was one of the few, you know, three toughness aggressive, well, aggressive creatures and all the other ones slotted into the same deck whereas Punishing Fire shut down any other potential aggro. And that yes. deck was playing both. I mean, the, the the one thing to keep in mind is that Nactal and Punishing Fire were banned during the exact same banning. Um, and one of the reasons they thought while Nactal was so powerful was because the deck played both of them and the thing that made it so powerful was this, as Jules just said, being in the format. Um, now that this is gone, Nactal's back and Nactal doesn't seem to be a problem. All right, well, we've got one more card. This one's BS. No. Uh, <laughs> Green Sun's Zenith. Green Sun's Zenith was banned uh, alongside Wild Nacatl, I believe. And it's a pretty simple card. It's a single green mana with X. Uh, you search your library for a green creature with converted mana cost X or less, put it into play, and shuffle Green Sun's Zenith back into your library. Uh, really, this one doesn't have anything super broken to go along with it. We have, we have you know, endless game state to over and over with uh, Sword of the Meek and Punching Fire, but Green Sun Zenith, uh, all you can do with it is cast Green Sun Zenith a bunch of times when you've you know, run out of cards in the library. Not going to happen very often, but it does provide you access to a smorgasbord of green creatures. You can run a lot of toolbox in the main deck, and it's also pretty efficient in addition to being a ramp spell in conjunction with Dryad Arbor. 
I think I think the issue here is, and we're going to talk about this when we do the deck tech today for Birthing Pod. But a, if this was legal with Birthing Pod, it would just that deck would be too powerful. I think it, it already is using cards that are less efficient than this to accomplish the same things that this would do at a more efficient level. And Birthing Pod is arguably one of the best decks, if not the best deck in the format. And beyond that, it adds another thing that we haven't really talked about that most of these other cards aren't really about, um, though arguably the Preordain and Ponder bans are about this, which is it makes games play out too consistently, where the exact same thing will be happening every single time someone plays, and they want some variance to be in the format. So I, I agree those are issues, you know, with decks occasionally having, like, extra Tarmogoyfs or whatever, but I think really the biggest issue with Green Sun Zenith is it cuts down on format diversity a ton. All of the green decks have to play the same toolbox of whatever eight green creatures that sure. are essential mm -hmm. to be able to search up. And without Green Sun Zenith in the format, you know, every green deck has a very different cadre of creatures, even with, you know, Tarmogoyf, which looks like it might be ubiquitous, it isn't. Yeah, right, right. you're definitely right, and I, I think that Green, green Sun Zenith was 100% just a diversity band. Okay, so that's kind of the the wrap-up of, you know, the band part of our thing. Now we get to talk about our probable pick for most likely to be banned, it sounded like, <laughs> uh, at least before Jeskai Ascendancy, uh, and that is Birthing Pod, which uh, we've all talked about well. You never played it because you're... Still <laughs> refusing. I'll be retiring undefeated with Birthing Pod in a couple months. <laughs> so, you know, let's kind of break down. What is the deck trying to do? Uh, so that's actually the big question. When we were talking earlier about Birthing Pod being hard to play, I think I undersold it a little bit. Let me say this straight out. There is not a person alive good enough at Magic to play Birthing Pod correctly. All of the top pros who have won GPs and Pro Tours with this deck disagree on lines of play extremely consistently. No one is good enough to play this deck correctly. But playing it at, you know, 95% efficiency is plenty good to make it in contention for the best deck in the format. Uh, so, Birthing Pod is, you know, often referred to as a combo deck. We've seen a lot of builds more recently emphasizing that less, and actually I think that was a misnomer from the start. At least the Maliripod builds are really more mid-range decks with the combo putting constant pressure on your opponent as a possibility than actual combo decks. Well, what it comes down to is having the versatility to go anywhere between, you know, combo versus just beating them down allows the deck to play in a way that is hard for a player to interact with on every level. Once you decide to skew one of those, it's a lot easier to stop birthing pod decks that are just trying to hit me. It's a lot easier to hit a, hurt a birthing pod that's just trying to combo out. But mm -hmm. while I'm trying to stop them from comboing, they're beating me in the face, that's hard. While I'm stopping them from beating me in the face and they're just gonna combo accidentally, that becomes difficult. And that's Precisely. where the versatility is really mm -hmm. important. Um, and that, you know, that's possibly one of the reasons Birthing Pod might come into trouble. First off, Birthing Pod is a card that you sack a creature, and it lets you put a creature with one more converted mana cost into play from your deck. Um, it's an artifact that costs four mana, but it, you know, Phyrexia mana allows you to do little tricks, but it really costs three, and you can also sack with the Phyrexia mana that you do it for one mana. Um, the combo that it originally came out with is Malira combo, where you're looking for uh, Malira... Silvok uh, Outcast. Silvok Outcast, which is a creature that costs two mana, um, and prevents counters from being, minus one, minus one counters per, uh, from being placed on your creature. It sometimes also, and it always allows you to not have poison counters, but it, it's more relevant than the fact that it makes it so your persist creatures are infinite. Um, this, among with 
your persist creature and a sack outlet allows you to gain infinite life with kitchen finks or do infinite damage with murder's red cap yeah the interaction can be a little non-intuitive those aren't familiar with it but essentially persist keeps track of itself by putting neg one neg one counters on a creature when it dies returning it to play with the minus one minus one counter so that it can't persist again malir obviously gives the gives your creature immunity from the counter and thus anytime a persist creature dies while malir is in play on your side you just get the creature back at full strength ready to persist again so in conjunction with the sack outlet you can go infinite uh, obviously, the Kitchen Finks and Murderous Redcap you, you just discussed are the big infinite ways. One of them gains infinite life, the Finks, and the Murderous Redcap deals infinite damage. Important to note is that this combo is vulnerable to Graveyard Hate. If there's a Rest in Peace in play or a way to exile the Persist creature uh, while it's trying to persist back into play, you can stop someone from going infinite, although you will not have removed the majority of the pieces from play, and you will probably die in the near future. Right. <laughs> the thing that comes down to it is a lot of the creatures that are good with this effect also can just beat face. A 2-2 two, two for 2 is not terrible. Kitchen Finks is probably one of the most efficient beaters in the format. And this, among the fact that they play cards that pump all their creatures, a land uh, that pumps all their creatures, makes it so even their mana dorks and mm -hmm. birds of paradise become just beaters among themselves. Uh, the other you know, plan when the graveyard hate maybe is too strong in the format is the Angel Pod variant. Uh, so in Angel Pod, you'll see... The combination of Archangel of Thune with Spike Feeder. Uh, so Archangel of Thune's a 5-mana 3-4 flyer with lifelink, which doesn't sound so great next to Baneslayer Angel, <laughs> but whenever you gain life, it puts a plus 1, plus 1 counter on all of your creatures. That's pretty good on its own in a deck full of Birds of Paradise for the same reason we were talking about Gavany Township being strong, but you can also just win the game in combination with Spike Feeder, which is 3-mana for a 0-0, zero, zero, but it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. And in addition to the ability to move those counters to other creatures, you can remove one for free to gain two life. So comes in with two counters, remove one, gain two life, the angel triggers and puts a new counter on it. You keep doing that and you'll gain infinite life and all of your creatures except the spike feeder will become arbitrarily large. So uh, We've also occasionally seen these two combined into one shell. The Archangel of Thune can fill in for Malira in the Malira combo, because uh, when Kitchen Finks enters, it will also gain you life and then get rid of its own persisted counter, because a uh, plus one, plus one counter and minus one, minus one counter on the same creature both cease to exist. Right, and, and, and something to keep in mind with this deck, and one of the reasons it's very complicated, is that each, the way Birthing Pod works is it's all about figuring out what is next on your mana curve and the creatures you sack. So having the versatility of going from trying to go Malira combo, which is a lot of low cost, uh, pieces to the angel combo, which is a lot of higher cost creatures, makes it you know easy to kind of maybe assemble what you're trying to accomplish with the cards you're drawn and given in the first place with pot and play. Generally, a person with pot and play though is going to win if you let it just keep happening. <laughs> yeah, pod pushes the format really aggressively actually because it gets started so fast. Uh, I talked a little bit earlier about killing turn one mana dorks, and pod is the biggest reason you have to because a turn two birthing pod is going to add a ton of value to every creature that comes after it. And also, just a turn one birds can fuel those aggressive starts as well. You know, if someone's getting started with a turn two Kitchen Finks into maybe a turn four Red Cap or a Voice of Resurgence plus something else, they can really start getting, you know, a lot of aggression going. And if you're stuck in this play pattern where you're answering the creature they just played while getting attacked with the one that's already in play, especially if the one that's already in play also has some effect that makes it good against removal, like Voice or Kitchen Finks, you're taking a ton of damage, spending your turn answering creatures that are coming and not dealing you damage, and you just fall too far behind. 
And, you know, the, the, the last piece that kind of makes this whole puzzle go together. So, it, you know, from the perspective of A, it can kill you in a combo way. So at any moment, you could just be dead. B, it has a, you know, not the most efficient beatdown plan in the format, but a pretty efficient and, and at least efficient enough beatdown plan that you have to be worried about it consistently or mm -hmm. you will die. You also have the fact that it allows you to have a very toolbox game plan. So the deck has, in the main deck and the sideboard, one ofs of many different cards that just straight up beat some decks. So, you know, if you're an artifact, if you're affinity, on game one, most decks don't have artifact hate because you don't want too much of that because, in general, it's not going to be very good against most opponents. But Birthing Pod can run Kozali Pride Mage one of because it can consistently find it if it needs to, so you don't need to run the full four of things, and it does this with Limvala, it does this with... Uh, or Zub Pontiff, which puts minus, you know, makes everything get minus one, minus one, which is just a house against Lingering Souls and Bitter Blossom. And, and Birthing Pot. And Birthing Pot. <laughs> <laughs> so these are, you know, it allows it to kind of interact on a three-level barrier where A, it's interacting with you, preventing you from what you're trying to do. B, it's beating you down. And C, it's comboing and all doing the exact same thing because almost all the cards kind of lead to one plan happening or the other one very fluidly. Mm -hmm. um, this is also the reason it's so complicated, though, because you have so many different choices and lines of play that you can make every single turn, especially with a birthing pot in play, that it becomes very difficult to play it as efficiently as possible. So, Jules, since you play the deck a lot, uh, we've discussed the combo plan and the beatdown plan. Now, personally, mm -hmm. I think it might be skewed by the kind of decks I play, uh, but generally, I never get comboed by birthing pod. I True. cannot remember the last time it happened. Uh, it was probably 2013. I'm not even, like, exaggerating. <laughs> uh, so... Is that your experience as well? Do you frequently win more games through beatdown with the threat of the combo essentially pushing the opponent back? Yeah, I would say that's the vast majority of the games. The combo generally comes up if you're in a terrible matchup and just need to hope for a quick and lucky win, or if your opponent fails to respect it, you have a nice I win button. But the vast majority of games come down to a beatdown plan. Sure, makes sense. The, the issue, and one of the reasons it doesn't happen is because people are so worried about it, mm -hmm. and they should be, because if you ignore it, it will happen, and a good player will not ignore it, but you're you're wasting resources on trying to stop that, killing the Sack Outlet, killing Malira, that you just don't pay attention to the fact that Finks are beating you down every turn for three or more. It's, it's funny you actually say that, because I, th I think there's actually kind of a scale of this, which follows from most, like, limited scenarios as well, where it's like, you know, at a certain level, like, a less experienced player is going to die to the combo very frequently because he constantly ignores it. Right. A good player is going to very rarely die to the combo because he always pays attention to it. But a great player is going to ignore the combo <laughs> when he doesn't need to pay attention to it and still retain like that same similar kind of percentage. Uh, I, I recently picked this deck up about a month ago to kind of get, you know, really delve my deep uh, teeth into it. And the thing I find most often happening is accidentally winning. I will be playing it to try and combo and then just notice that, oh, I've just been beating them down efficiently this whole time <laughs> and they're at like four and I could just swing and win instead of actually trying to combo them out or something. You just, it, by the end of the match, because yeah. life totals are so kind of irrelevant sometimes, to some decks that they just they just die because you're just like oh I'm hitting you out of value in the beginning and that's enough to just take you out yep uh, I'm kind of also kind of curious uh, one of the bullets that is run in every pod deck and I think I've seen some that run it as more of a bullet but more than just a singleton mm -hmm. uh, but usually just the singleton is Revelark which I think that Revelark is actually the reason pod is a very good deck I think without Revelark pod would probably not have been the best deck in the format for like about a year or two. I think like, it was probably about two years that Pod was just straight up the best deck in the format. And I think Revelark was a big part of that. Do you agree with that? Uh, I would say it is. It's less in-game and more on a grander mm -hmm, scale. Revelark gives Pod... It takes Pod from having the inevitability of gaining 
activations off of Birthing Pod to actually being unable to lose the late game if you just yeah. move a Birthing Pod in play. Uh, for those not aware, Revelark is a 4 and a white for a 4-3 flyer. I know, sizable game. But uh, what's really going on is it has a trigger, which is whenever it leaves play, it returns two creatures from your graveyard with power uh, two or less to play. Which is, I think, 80% of the it's, creatures it's in the It's the deck. vast majority. Kitchen Finks is the big one it does not return, mm -hmm. uh, which is worth noting. But pretty much everything else, and, and the big ones are really uh, voice and red cap and just generating like a content, constant cascading advantage via Gavining Township. I found that Revelark is the big enemy when you're any kind of attrition deck against Pod, whether it's Jund or Blue-Eye Red Control. Uh, in fact, as Blue-Eye Red Control, I would frequently bring in Graveyard Hate uh, just because as long as they can't Revel Arc me, I'm feeling like, okay. Right, but, <laughs> and it g gains some value off of the fact that like Kitchen Finks and Eternal Witness are also shut down right. among Revel Arc. And, and Eternal Witness kind of does what Revel Arc does on a little smaller level and a little smaller scale, but it also makes it so that Revel Arc and Eternal Witness together make it so that there's no stopping the cards coming back and back and back and back. Yeah, <laughs> I think Revlarks are really a really big part of it. So, uh, well, it, it's certainly sort of a flagship for the thing, which is just leaving the birthing pod out gets you a lot of value, and it gives you some insurance because if you can't deal with the birthing pod and you're trying to attrition pod out, basically your only chance is to kill every single creature they play. Right, and Revlark makes it just that much harder because Revlark is itself one of the more sizable creatures in the deck. Like exactly. a 4-3 flyer is you not messing around. You can't just leave it there. It'll yeah. kill you. <laughs> it will go for you. So uh, it, it's nice that you can bolt it down and so you can kind of get to those turns where if you don't have Graveyard Heart, you can find it and then use it and then bolt the guy, but uh, it's definitely a tricky one. Well, before we get into the gauntlet, um, I want to do cards from the new set that might go into it. Uh, yeah. uh, creatures. <laughs> <laughs> no, so there are a few interesting things here. Um, I think the, the one that is... I think the one I've heard the most... Um, about possibly getting put in there is Inoffenza. Uh, the new, it is already a junk deck. It is already efficient. So it is a three mana 4-4, four, four, which is something that the deck theoretically, you know, it is on the beatdown plan. It's looking for relatively decent beatdown creatures. And it offers value because of the fact that, you know, there are, against the pod mirror match, it's pretty decent. Um, and, you know, theoretically, we've talked about how graveyard decks in modern might be getting stronger, and this also adds value because it removes creatures that enter the graveyard. And lastly, the plus one, plus one counter is not irrelevant in a deck where we just mentioned plus one, plus one counters have a lot of synergy. You know, this makes it so your kitchen fix is basically going to just keep coming back, worst case scenario, among making your Birds of Paradise also just, like, bigger and eventually its own beatdown flyer without needing to do the many other things the deck is already doing. Yeah, I, I could certainly see Anafenza grabbing a spot, uh, some of the question is exactly what people are trying to do with the graveyard. Uh, most pod decks are already playing Scavenging Ooze, which gives you some insurance against that plan, and having two silver bullets doesn't do much. But if a deck is milling a lot of cards, Scavenging Ooze isn't going to stop that, whereas Anafenza might. And like you said, it's a pretty decent de beatdown card on its own and has good synergy with the persist creatures. Right. It seems like, you know, it's doing a lot of the things the deck is trying to do already, and it feels like it's almost a very, very good fit for the deck. The issue being that I think the graveyard hate needs to be more relevant than it necessarily is already, but mm -hmm. not to say that it won't be. I think it's very possible, especially with Delve in the format and, and the new additions to graveyard decks, that it's possible that this card is going to be seeing a lot of play. Because, you know, treasure crews won't go off as early if the creatures that they're getting into their graveyard aren't going off. Right. If it's in a, like, more of a Jundi or Saltai, like... Uh, green-black deck that mm -hmm. has classically been bad, but this might be one of the many things that could bring that deck above. And, sure. you know, Delver also, like, there are decks that have creatures that could be playing Treasure Cruise, and this could be a reason to answer that. 
Yeah, I think that if Scavenging Ooze didn't exist, it would be pretty easy to say that Inoffensive gets a slot in this deck, but because Scavenging Ooze specifically uh, interacts with Snapcaster Mage and Storm decks in a way that Inoffensive does not, uh, I think that that makes Scavenging Ooze a card you can't afford to cut, and if you're looking for slots, then they're tight. Right. No, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it, the, there has to be a very specific metagame for this to be an all-star, and it, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I think something to point out is that, you know, the mana in, in Birthing Pod just got much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the green-white fetch land is just better than Misty oh. Rainforest. <laughs> yeah, Marsh Flats took a bath in this game. Man. <laughs> Pretty much every deck that plays Marsh Flats is no longer going to, except for the white-black deck. Right. <laughs> Literally every other deck is just like, oh, you're out of here. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, I did have one more card that piqued my interest for Birthing Pod, though this one's a bit more speculative, which is uh, I'm about to model this Grim Horuspex. Ooh, no, that's exactly how you say that, although I have no idea what it could possibly mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, Grim Horuspex. I believe it's a 2 and a black 3-2, or 3 and a black 3-2? You, you were right, 2 and a black 3-2. 2 and a black 3-2, and whenever another non-token creature dies, you get to draw a card. And Precisely. it also is a... Uh, a morph creature, although I don't think that's going to be that relevant in modern, yeah. uh, just in general. <laughs> Your creatures do not need to be less efficient. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's a cool idea. Yeah, so it, right now it would mostly just be a potential sideboard card. You know, sweepers are some of the best cards against pod, and this one doesn't do much against anger of the gods, but it answers a lot of other ones pretty effectively. But we've already had cards that potentially do that. Where it could really potentially shine is as a main deck card and pod that both protects you against sweepers and helps you grind even more in attrition-y matchups. Right. I think also you say that morph isn't that important, but I think there is a one one value to it is that, you know, sometimes you need to be able to pod into a one cost mana creature. So say you need to find that uh Viscerous Seer. Viscerous Seer. Yeah. Viscerous so you could you can morph into <laughs> Viscerous Seer because you can sack the morph because it's a zero converted sure. mana cost that's creature and go to it. I mean I think Marginal that's upside. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's not necessarily the most relevant thing. I just think like it's something this that you the, should know. Right, this yeah. is the that is the one situation I can imagine in all mm-hmm. of modern for the most part that more. I, is I actually think like a side well, burnt well, and yeah. <laughs> is a little more common. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's fair. I I agree with you that I think it's. More of a main de- maybe main deck card than a sideboard card at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like my sideboard cards to be super high impact. When I draw a sideboard card, I want it to contribute to me winning the game like a really high percentage of the time. And I don't think Grim Horrorspects does that. That mm-hmm. said, it is a card I could feasibly run in my main deck that can give me a little extra defense and never be a total stone blank. So that's the kind of card I like in my main deck. Versus you know against the kind of hate we were describing, I might like something more like a Burnt and Forge Tender, even like. Uh, collar of the Claw or Rootborn Defense or some, some indestructible sure. or other uh, Yeah, there's defense, one in All yeah. Our Reborn. I don't remember yeah, what yeah. it's called. But. I, 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 the nice thing is that, you know, most of the decks that would want to abuse this effect have tokens and so they can't, but right. this is the one deck that, you know, all there's no tokens in this deck. This is a purely creature-based deck, so that, I mean, there are some tokens, but for the mm-hmm. most part it takes advantage of this ability and it's something that, you know, Birthing Pod against the removal-heavy decks, which is the card that would be best against them, needs to be able to grind them out, and this could help yeah. them do that. The, the one thing I am a little concerned with about it is, you know, you're a Birthing Pod deck, but I'm. it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario in which I would pod into this card. Uh, it seems more likely to spawn a sort of slightly different pod deck than we've seen rather okay. than slot right into it. There, you know, we used to see builds of pod that were a little bit more combo-focused and so would have, you know, two Viscerous Ears and, say, six Persist Creatures 
I could see some deck like that emerging where the Herzfex really gets out of control. I could also see it in, uh, there's a, a fringe modern deck that's a, a zombie birthing pod deck. I could see you doing mm -hmm. something with that, with it there too, right. where you're like trying to combo people off with blood artists and yeah, like there, there I could definitely see that happening. All right, so now that we've kind of talked about the cards from Concentrar here in this deck, let's go into the gauntlet so we can kind of figure out what to do and what you do with this deck. Um, to start that off, let's start with uh, Affinity, the artifact aggro deck that really is the major aggro deck in the format. And basically the only deck on this list that can't bolt your bird. Right. <laughs> well, some of them run Galvanic Blast, yeah. so you're never safe. So, I mean, that's obviously game plan A, which is get Birthing Pod down early, because once you have that down, it's going to be make their life much more difficult. Mm -hmm. Seeing the fact that you have main deck to Artifact Hate, and then after the sideboard, you have extra Artifact Hate that's even better than the main deck Hate, and it makes it a much easier matchup than you normally expect. Yeah, so this matchup tends to play out as a sort of classic aggro versus control matchup, where they're beating you down pretty hard, and you're struggling to get online fast enough to answer their threats, but... You know, Pod's a diverse deck, so it doesn't always go that way. Occasionally you can mulligan into a quick combo finish and race them. Uh, unfortunately, most of your normal anti-aggression countermeasures aren't too effective. You know, Kitchen Finks gaining two life is all well and good, but doesn't do all that much when it can't block. And right. I think something else so about this is, you know, you mentioned earlier that you rarely see the deck combo out against you, but you also probably aren't paying Affinity that much. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the type of deck where the combo becomes much more important because your game plan A is to get there before they kill you. Mm -hmm. And because they don't interact, because they don't have Lightning Bolt, it makes it much easier to kind of accomplish that goal. Yeah. Because you're not fighting against it. It's really just who's the faster combo deck. And the fact that Birthing Pod could A, combo, while also leveraging better hate against Affinity than Affinity can do in the reverse, at least in game one, mm -hmm. it you know might give it the edge that it needs. Yeah, so this somewhat depends on your exact build. You see some pod lists running Linvala in the main deck and some leaving it in the side, and your game one plays out very differently depending on that, because Linvala is such a beating in this matchup, you generally don't need to go for the combo approach if you're playing it. You'd rather just get Linvala into play and that'll usually shut right. them down. That'll I, do. I mean, I, I totally... Sorry. I completely believe that Limbala being in the sideboard is probably a mistake because this, among a, a, many other matchups, make it just so it's the best card possibly. Well, certainly if Jeskai Ascendancy remains legal, you want to maintain <laughs> <Yeah>. Limbala's. <laughs> Plus uh, a 3-4 flyer for, you know, for you know potting into that is mm -hmm. not the worst thing to be able to get to. It's a beater. Uh, I, I think this matchup, one of the... Th one of the things to keep in mind about this matchup is also that the infinite life combo is not in and of itself a win, which it would be against many other beatdown decks because they have access to Ink Moth Nexus in conjunction with Arcbound Ravager and Cranial Plating. So it's actually possible for you to gain infinite life and then immediately die. Of course, it <laughs> so, takes some effort on their part since uh, yeah, nor normal play. infect creatures, Malira turns into regular damage, Correct. but because of some intricacies of the rules, uh, you actually can't deal any damage with an Ink Moth Nexus through Malira. Yeah, you'd have to remove the Malira to get them in the first place, uh, or if they had comboed off with Angel and Feeder, this would just exactly. still work, assuming the Angel was tapped or otherwise removed from your path. Two Ink Moths. Yeah, two Ink Moths does the trick, so you, you have to keep that kind of thing in mind. Uh, it's been my experience watching this matchup play out, as I generally would not deign to touch either deck. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's been my experience that Affinity is ahead in Game 1, but Pod is ahead in Games 2 and 3. Yeah, that works pretty well with 
my I mean, experience. Right. As you meant, we mentioned before, the fact that you're given access to as many um, toolbox pieces and good artifact removal and or good artifact slash enchantment removal is very much in the sideboard for Affinity, or for uh, Birthing Pod, makes it much easier on, on the second round yeah. to take them out. I mean, to be fair, that's true of most decks against Affinity in this format. You oh, know, for sure. Getting for to sure. bring in Creeping Corrosion is a pretty big game, even for decks that can't tutor up their one Kataki Wars Wage. Right. Yeah, if your sideboard matchup gets worse against Affinity, then you're probably not a playable modern deck, actually. That's, <laughs> I can't think of anyone offhand that passes that that that, that fails that, that test, test and right. still is playable. Well, I, yeah. I think the point is, is if, with Affinity, the thing you really have to take into consideration is modern is, or sorry, is Birthing Pod is probably better than a significant amount of other decks in game one against oh, Affinity. Yes, certainly. Then, you know, you would you would expect it's much better than decks like Jund or uh, right. Black Green, which right, are right. just really rancid. Um, next on the list is speaking of Jund and Black Green, Black Green X. More decks I don't want to touch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this matchup is actually. Almost entirely dependent on the build of the black green deck versions with a lot of, uh, you know, early hand disruption and scavenging uses are a, you know, reasonably bad matchup for you. They'll get into the high 60s if they don't pack enough of that stuff and they're just trying to beat you with Tarmogoyfs. It's one of the easier matchups. Yeah, they definitely have to move into the disruption plan against you because they're they're just trying to create a situation where their creatures are better than yours, and that's where they can win. Mm-hmm. And Pod's entire deck is structured around making sure that that doesn't happen, right? Like, they're right. just trying to get this very impenetrable board state where they're doing a lot of redundant things, tutoring with Pod. Uh, but I... I I think that Black Green has skewed this way, just in general. Uh, it's one of the reasons Storm has basically vanished from Tier 1 in Modern, because Black Green has skewed in this direction, where it's like got all these oozes, it's got all this hand disruption, and now Pod is no longer the favorite. I think Pod was a favorite against Jun for a while, Yeah, but that's changed. I, I've been playing Pod for quite a while, and it used to be back in the day, you know, Jun yeah. was in... I mean, play skill dependent, but sure, yeah, a, a nice 75% <laughs> matchup for you if you were good enough at Pod. <laughs> Uh, that is no longer the case. I think you're closer to 40 against most of the builds nowadays. Well, so I, I think that, like, Jund and Black Green, period, are that, but I think the Junk decks are probably much worse against you than the value that they gain against the other Black Green decks. Yeah, Lingering Souls doesn't do anything right. in this matchup. No, well, it does not. It doesn't, like, the blocking factor isn't that important. The th- the life total threat isn't that big of a deal, and the fact that you have Orzhov Pontiff and literally just... Stone Cold destroy their mm-hmm. entire one one army is great and just makes the matchup much easier to win than one would expect versus the other two black green decks. Yeah. Yep. Um, Splinter Twin, the combo yes combo deck of the format. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> the marquee combo deck. The marquee sure. combo deck. Um, Once <laughs> again, there are a lot of different builds here to consider, but we have a wider variety in what's actually seeing play for Splinter Twin. You know, oh, yeah. between the combo-focused ones, and we get Splinter Twin decks going to tempo or even as far as control decks, right. really, with some blue-white-red Splinter Twin builds. Uh, generally, they uh, have a lot of good interaction for you early, but they have to play a tempo game. Like you, When things go long, Birthing Pod is very difficult to beat, so unfortunately you don't have much interaction, at least in game one. I would say the combo-y Splinter Twin decks are a lot harder for you to deal with at the start, but again, you have really good sideboard options, some right. of the best in the format, because you're going to get them so frequently, and 
between Spellskite and Linvala, it's not too hard to shut down the combo. So in the match as a whole, I would say I'm actually a lot more afraid of the tempo versions than the combo. Right, and what it comes down to is the decks you're playing, the deck you're playing doesn't interact with them that much in game one in the way that you need to kind of interact with Splinter Twin. But as soon as you're given access to the wider variety of cards that you have in your sideboard, the matchup becomes much stronger unless they're playing the beatdown deck. But then even then, you know, they're doing something similar to you, but I would say they're less powerful than you are in that tempo build where like their game plan B of attacking you is worse than your game plan B of attacking them. Mm -hmm. While then you're, it's all about who combos first and you're just a little bit more consistent about the, like, the things you can do in the less um, straightforward version of uh, Twin. Although it is important to note, again, that uh, the infinite life combo does not do beat much. Splinter Twin at all. It does nothing. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, it, it stops yeah. them from tempoing you out, but it, they, they will have the ability to win through it, so it's not often worth dedicating a lot of resources to gain a bunch of life. Of course, they do need to disrupt it. If it's still in play after right. they figure out how many attackers they have, you can, you know, gain more I make life. a billion attackers. Well, I make a billion life plus one. <laughs> and it just goes back. It's a, it's a, it's a Cold War arms race uh, so, of infiniteness. <laughs> Something I should have noted during the combo section is, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about infinite life, but if you're going off with the Malira combo, it doesn't really end there. The sack outlet of choice is Viscerous here, which allows yes. you to scry one every time that you sacrifice a creature. So you basically get to cut your deck to wherever you want to, which will generally be Murderous Red Cap or Birthing Pod, and that way, if they don't get rid of your combo, you can immediately just get red cap and deal infinite damage to them the following turn. That's true. Malir is essentially suspend the win uh, for one, in addition to gaining uh, infinite life there. And last but not least, blue-white-red control. This is actually a matchup I have played a ton <laughs> versus these other stainy decks. Uh, no, uh, I've actually always felt favored from the blue-white-red side, although... Talking with uh, a number of pod players, uh, I think Sam, Sam Party and Oscar Jones specifically have argued with me about it. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting. I think it's an, I think the the truth is probably that it's just very very close and depends a lot on your builds and specifically how you approach the matchup. Like I mentioned, Revelark before, you know, if you're not bringing in your graveyard hate as a blue or red player, then mm -hmm. you might just randomly be getting browned by Revelark all the time. Whereas I might just never have that happen to me, and as a result, we have a very different perspective on the matchup. Uh, my my experience with this matchup has been that it is kind of ludicrously skill-dependent. I think the better player has won somewhere above 90% of the matches I've ever played of this matchup. Well, what a compliment, Jules. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, both decks clearly have strong late game, but pods is definitely stronger unless the pod player opens themselves up to having all of their resources put one way or the other. Of course, blue-white-red is capable of playing a tempo game, which is how these games really play out when both players know what they're doing. Right. Yeah, I found myself being able to snipe people's life totals pretty easily when they get a little too aggressive with the Phyrexian Man on Birthing Pod, exactly. which is a very nuanced thing. It's kind of, you know, at what point do you feel like you should slow down? Is it 12? Is it 10? Is it 8? Like, where am I? In, do I where do I have to start paying mana with Birthing Pod? And yeah, the the answer is probably about fifteen for the record, but <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it it can be very kind of wonky and figuring out exactly what your opponent's holding all that's a big deal. Uh, I think I, the deck, I think the matchup hugely favored blue white red before Voice of Resurgence. Oh, agreed. Voice 100%. of Resurgence changed the game in a really big way, and now uh, the correct strategy in the matchup is just you have to board out basically every counter spell in your entire deck 
and go into more of a permanent based solutions for everything. But I actually think that that might have just been better than what was being done before. Like, I think keeping mm -hmm. in something like Cryptic or Remand or, or Leak was like not helping you actually. And now that people are like, well, this Sony's Islands looks ugly, <laughs> but I guess I'll bring it in. It's like, oh no, this actually does the trick. I get to commit mana early, don't have to worry about a blowout late, right. get to continue and, and further my game plan. Yeah, I, I would certainly say that's a better approach to take to the matchup. But certainly I, is now, yeah. I maintain that this matchup has a lot of play to it. If you're planning to play either of these decks and really want to spend a lot of time somewhere, this is one I would recommend practicing. Definitely. Uh, and there's also, you know, some splintering among blue-white-red decks. Uh, we mentioned already Twin. Uh, many blue-white-red decks kind of hybridize an infinite combo with Restoration Angel and Kiki-Jiki within them, and that's actually a pretty handy tool in this matchup mm -hmm. uh, because Pod is real soft on ways to interact with that, and if you can just assemble that combo, it can win you the game from some pretty unlikely situations. And given that you're already kind of just trying to keep them from killing you in a lot of ways, it's not that unusual to assemble. Yeah, that that one I would not say is 50-50. Yeah, the yeah, Kiki yeah. Angel version is uh, I, I think you have an well on-deck edge there, and yeah. depending on your board, uh, I think McLaren's last board included like a bunch of Relic Progenitus's too, uh, which he brought in the matchup for Revelark. So yeah, that I think he's a pretty big favorite with that list. Okay, so that kind of breaks us down for Birthing Pod. Is there any last things you want to say about the deck before we move Ban on? Ban it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess the major thing would be that I think the mistake most people make thinking, you know, playing with or against Birthing Pod is trying to put it into too small a box. This deck does a lot of things, and if you think you're summing it up in a sentence, you've probably missed a crucial aspect of the deck. Yeah, you definitely want to test the deck, test against the deck heavily, uh, and also make sure the person you're testing with is also a very competent player. Uh, testing against Birthing Pod with someone who's, you know, just filling the chair for you, basically, is not going to really do you any good. I, I would go so far as to say, like, playing games in your head is actually probably more useful. Uh, but if you can find someone who is, you know, it's their deck, they PTQ with it all the time, like, that's the kind of person you want to practice the matchup with. And odds are, they would love to do it, because Birthing Pod is the kind of deck that people don't play unless they really enjoy playing. <laughs> and there's I no one who plays Birthing that. Pod and hates it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of comes down to what we were talking about before with even Blood Braid Elf, where Birthing Pod is one of the few cards and in the format, and this is maybe the reason they wouldn't ban it, that's really fun to play. It's really interesting on camera, but one of the reasons it's there is because, like, you get to do stuff every turn, and the stuff you're doing is pretty cool. Um, it's the exact kind of stuff that people that like to play Magic like to do, um, which is puzzle solving, figuring out exactly what you need to be doing, really good decision trees. So, you know, this is one of the reasons to play the deck is that if you like doing kind of that kind of gameplay style, this is the deck possibly for you. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so that's Birthing Pod. So, uh, you know, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, we actually have a question for you guys to answer us. To either tweet us at the MMCast or email us at the MMCast at RocketDump.com. Um, that is, what card do you think should be banned or unbanned and why? Send it to us and we would love to hear your thoughts. Lastly, uh, you know, we want to make sure you guys know about the Command Cast. That is our sister podcast slash cousin podcast, depending on which way you want to put it. Uh, you know, Jimmy and Josh both do really great commander coverage, and they, you know, have, you know, once a week, every Tuesday, some great things for you guys to eat, deck techs, uh, and, and interesting stuff as well. Lastly, uh, Jules, thanks for coming. Um, My pleasure. You know, I want to remind everyone that you guys can find him, you know, at Jules Robbins. I also, you know, will list links to some of his articles on both Gathering Magic and... Goblin Artisans. Goblin Artisans uh, in the links below. And lastly, thanks guys for listening. Yeah, it's been great.
Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Secluded Glenn. See you later, alligator.